Welcome to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, where we teach you how to get high-paying jobs in tech in about a year. I'm really excited about today's podcast interview with Eric Torenberg because he's someone that not only broke into tech, but he started a $100 million venture capital firm in a community that helps people uh, not just invest in companies, but also leave their companies um, to, to start new things in the future through the OnDeck community, the Rise community, and many other initiatives that he has created. For the people that don't know what a venture capitalist is, it's, uh, it's, we're going to talk about it on the podcast, but high level, it's uh, an individual or a group that gives money to people to start companies. It's important to understand that because many of you will want to break into startups um, in the middle of a pandemic where 51 million Americans, over 51 million Americans have filed for unemployment, but they're trying to break into tech. And so many people tend to focus on the Googles and the Facebooks and the, and the Netflix, which isn't bad. Those are those are great companies. But you have to realize there's tons of companies that are out there that are being funded on a daily basis. So uh, understanding who a venture capitalist is, since there's so many of them, um, is key when you're going through the job search. In the last six to eight weeks, uh, there has been so much activity, um, in, especially in the early stage financing world. Um, and, and I want you all to, uh, to really focus on uh, what we talk about related to being a VC with your time, being a VC with your time. You'll learn more about it later. Um, but before uh, going into the episode, I want you to know that I know that if you are unemployed right now, you're probably a woman or you're a person of color. I know that the digital divide is real. I know that it's a problem and people often talk about Wi-Fi. But um, uh, what CareerCom is doing to help you is we are raising half a million dollars and giving away 5,000 laptops through a campaign that we're calling Reskill America, the Great Rehiring Initiative. And we have a device for you if you want to break into tech. If you want to apply for a laptop, uh, go to careercomma.com slash apply and go through the process so we can get you the resources that you need. If you know a friend that's, that's in need, also spread the word to them. Let us know any feedback by sending an email to Ruben Archer or Timor at breakingintostars.com. That's R-U-B-E-N-A-R-T-U-R-T-I-M-U-R at breakingintostars.com. Like our Facebook page, join our Facebook community. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah. So we started recording this podcast about a little over two years ago. And it was a Sunday morning. It was a beautiful day outside. And the first conversation was with Aubrey Brown, episode number one. Back at that time, the podcast was just an idea. And not a lot of people know this, but we recorded 30 episodes before we released our first one, just so we can make sure this idea turned into a reality. Today, things came full circle. Two years and 88 episodes later, 
It's a Sunday morning. It's sunny outside. And we're about to record this episode out of our new headquarters in South of Market SF. Excited for this episode. We got a video crew here. Shout out to 8Hero. We got people flowing in from Brazil, New Jersey, Florida, and we're about to go in. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, like Timor said, we got eight heroes in the building, Jersey in the building, but we stay giving you classics. We're here with my guy, Eric Tornberg, my business partner, my friend. He's from New Jersey, went to the University of Michigan. He's the founder of Rapt FM. He was in Detroit. He went to 500 Startups, was the first employee of Product Hunt, started a Product Hunt podcast. It's, an, it's awesome to return the favor because he had me on the podcast a long time ago. Amazing episode. It was an amazing episode. I remember my first week here, I actually was at a breakfast that he organized before he launched the on-deck dinners mm-hmm. that many of you all have attended. Then he didn't even tell me about this, but he launched a $100 million fund called Villages Global that invested in Omni, Lattice, Promise, SV Academy, and other companies. And now he launched another podcast called Venture Stories by Village Global. So you guys got to make sure you subscribe to that. I mean, before getting into this episode, that's going to be not just about what VC is, how to break it to VC, what it's like working at a startup. I just want to say welcome, Eric. It's an honor to be here, guys. I remember before we started the podcast, Ruben, you had this uh, photo on Facebook with you, uh, with all you guys recording, <laughs> and you're like, something's coming. And it's this <laughs> ominous looking photo. And no, I'm, you guys have built something so powerful and has impacted so many people. So I'm honored yeah. to be here. I'm honored Thanks. to be your friends and, and welcome. Colleagues. Thank you, man. And so as Timor mentioned, this is the first episode at our new headquarters in Soma, right by the Pinterest building and Airbnb building. And it feels really, really good. We have office hours every Friday. And when I asked a question to the room about what venture capital is, who knows what venture capital is? Very few people could answer that question. So to start off, can you tell the people what a venture capitalist is and what a venture capital fund does? So very simply, a venture capitalist invests money into startups. There it is. And so why is that important for someone that is trying to break into startups? Well, a few things. One, because if you're trying to break into startups, one potential way is you can start working at a venture capital firm and get exposure to lots of different startups at the same time. Two is venture capitalists, you know, one way to get a job at a startup is to, you know, build relationships with with people in VC because they work with a lot of startups so they can help plug you in. And three is if you're trying to start a company, you want to be friends with venture capitalists because you want to raise money from them, potentially. Yep. yep. And I think it's also relevant to a lot of people in the job search because yeah. the same way a VC or venture capitalist evaluates which company to put money in, every employee should also evaluate every company, which company am I going to give my time to, right? And they're making the biggest bet because they're only making one bet. Yeah. You guys yeah. are making multiple bets yeah. across your portfolio. So you whereas, be a VC with your time. Yeah. yeah. There it is. VC yeah. with, with your, your time. time. <laughs> so like kind of tell, her, tell <laughs> the people who are listening, like, what do you look for in these companies? What are signals that tell you, hey, I believe in this founder. I believe in this idea. I want to put money into this uh, business. Yeah. You know, so a lot of it at the earliest stages, we invest sometimes day zero, like two people in idea. A lot of it is, I think what people underestimate is founder market fit. Uh-huh. So like, you know, Brian Chesky, you know, CEO of Airbnb, awesome, awesome company. But if he was doing a food delivery startup, like I don't know if that would have been enormous. Like, you know, you look at someone like Ev Williams and Medium, right? He previously built Twitter, built Blogger. You know, he really understands these platforms. If Ev was running a company like Uber, like I don't know if that would have worked, worked out. Or, or Travis with Uber, if, if Travis was running Medium, some of that like is all about design and sensibility. Like, 
I don't know if that would have worked out. So you, you, you can't look at the person separate from, from the idea and the opportunity, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. And speaking about, you know, being phase zero at a company, yeah. you have personal experience doing that, not as a venture capitalist, but as an employee. So can you talk to us a little bit about your experience moving from New Jersey to San Francisco after you founded Wrapped FM yeah. to become the first employer product hunt and how all of that happened? Yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey, moved around a bunch. My parents are immigrants. My mom is from Colombia. My dad's from Israel. So I never, uh, the whole world is my home. <laughs> and I went to uh, University of Michigan. And then after, you know, while I was at Michigan, I was into a bunch of stuff, but there was this guy, Dan Gilbert in Detroit. He owns Quicken Loans, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's rebuilding Detroit. And one of the things he's doing is he's offering, he's trying to invest in students coming out of uh, Michigan schools if they build companies in Detroit. And so I, I, uh, I built this idea at Startup Weekend. It was a sort of a hack idea just for fun. It was called, man, this was in chat roulette was big. And it's called <laughs> Rap Roulette. Rap Roulette. Man. All right, all right. And he invested in it on the spot. Yeah. Wow. And what did the idea do so people understand? It was, man, it was like chat roulette for rap battles. All right. So you like in, you like randomly get assigned to a room yes. and then someone else is on there and you're battling with them back and forth. Yes. And a live audience watching, chatting, voting. Damn. Wow. Like, think of HQ trivia like six years before, like a yeah. game show around, around wow. rap. Wow. wow. And we changed our name because Chat Roulette had some uh, unsavory connotations <laughs> back, back in the day. I don't know if you remember. It's uh, so, <laughs> so Rapped FM. And man, I was in Detroit for, for a few years mm-hmm. building that crazy experience. And then, you know, we had gotten into, we'd raised a, we got through an accelerator in Detroit. We raised Z-Round in Detroit. And then we, we got into 500 startups. And mm-hmm. that was my move out here. Never, never been here before. Mm-hmm. For the people that don't know what's 500 startups. 500 startups is an accelerator. Like Y Combinator is an accelerator, mm-hmm. which uh, you know is a program for people all over the world to get their first money in, you know, mm-hmm. build product. So they provide you with mentorship, yes, coaching, and exactly. you're in a group of other founders. So you're learning from each other, yeah. and then at the end of the program, you're ideally like have like a great product, great yep. like investors, and then you're able to raise capital and kind of yeah. go on your journey of scaling this company. Yeah, I've been through four accelerators in my life. Wow. I love wow. accelerators. I started an accelerator with Village, like. I yeah. think for especially young person, I mean, for anybody, it's such a great way to learn. Yeah. yeah. Relationships. And so, yeah. you know, you have wrapped FM, you yep. got the funding. Yep. You know, some people were, somebody in particular was a user of wrapped FM. Yep. Who was that person and how did it lead to where you are? Totally. So, so I moved to San Francisco and, you know, wrapped, when we were talking earlier about the risk of starting a company, you know, wrapped FM, it didn't end up being a huge thing. Shocker. I thought at the time, but it led me to build so many interesting relationships with so many people. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, especially founders, they talk about starting companies, but they don't don't talk about dealing with failure, right? And like burnout. So tell us a little bit more about kind of what was the point where you realized that this idea is not gonna be the next Facebook or Airbnb, and like how did you deal with that realization? Yeah. Well, I had a voice in the back of my head for all three years, man. (laughs) But the last you know six months, it really became. Became clear was it just wasn't taken off enough, and it, the, the ideas are dangerous. The ones that have a little bit of legs but not enough. Yeah. If, it, if it has zero legs, you're like, okay, this yeah. just doesn't work. But if it's like you're like, oh, maybe it can you just change a little yeah. bit. I um, mean, so we kept fighting, but then you know, life stuff it came in the way, and we realized, hey, there's just no way we could do this. I also, you know, it was interesting. A lot of people try to combine sort of a passion and a business, mm-hmm. and sometimes it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the things that I was interested in building, Wrapped FM weren't necessarily the things that were going to lead it to be a huge company. Mm-hmm. And so 
and I guess I sort of got disillusioned with the with the music industry. But I, um, or at least in that particular concept uh, time period, yeah. So we weren't making it, and I was like, "What am I going to do?" Yeah, you know, I was writing down lists of all all things I could potentially do. It was like I could, you know, and the way I thought about it was like if I had started any company, what would I have started if I could have started any company? Uh-huh. I was like, I can get a job at maybe I can go work at Quora. Mm-hmm. I wish I started that. Maybe I can go work at LinkedIn. I mm-hmm. wish I started that. Maybe I can go work for like Terry Gross or Charlie Rose or someone like that. I wish it, like I love interviewing people. Yeah, and and I just made a, a maybe like New Yorker. <laughs> I read the New Yorker. Just made a big list and. Just so happened that one of the people who were the earliest users of Product Hunt, his name was Ryan Hoover. Yeah, earliest users of Rap FM, right? Yeah, sorry, yeah, earliest yeah. users of Rap FM, and he also he wrote this article about Turntable.fm, which we really were inspired by when we were building Rap FM. And I just invested in the guy who started Turntables FM's company, Full Circle, <laughs> yeah, which is Glamcam, which is awesome. And yes, yeah, so Ryan wrote that article, went viral. I reached out to him, didn't know he was even an early user of Rap. His friend was actually one of the first rappers ever on, on Rap FM, and we became friends. And so when he said, or when I saw that he was working on this, really what is a side project at the time, Product Hunt, it was one of a few different side projects he was working on. I was like, let me help you out. And first I was getting all the 500 startups companies on there. And then I asked him, I was like, hey, I'm looking for my next thing. I think Product Hunt could be a great way to find out what my next thing is, mm-hmm. because you see in all these startups all the time. I was like, can I help you out? I'll volunteer for free. Like, mm-hmm. just let me just, you know, I know you're, you're not answering my emails. That's how I know how bogged down you are. Yeah. You need help with customer support. Like, I'll do anything. Yeah. And yeah. I love what, that you brought up like volunteer for free because there's a lot of people, especially founders, but people that have raised capital before who have kind of their ego now and yeah. it kind of, they feel bad going to work for someone else because, hey, I've been telling all my friends that I'm an entrepreneur. I don't like have a boss. And then, when your startup doesn't work out, like what do you do? Like, do you start another company, which obviously you have some blind spots since the previous idea didn't work out, or do you go work for someone else? And you didn't just go work for someone else; you also volunteered for free. Yeah, I mean, just I, I remember I volunteered for free too. Yeah, for banking, like, yeah. and then even my first opportunity at Alt School that I wrote about was a contract job before. Yep. it was a full time job, but like it was just volunteering to support. Yeah. with anything. Yeah. yeah, and to be sure, he paid me. Okay. He was like, I can't, I can't have you work for free. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you, but you offered yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Shows humility. Yeah, totally. And, you know, another thing, I, I, you got to have low ego about this stuff. And mm-hmm. we're, all, we're always keeping our yeah. egos in check, uh, me included. Uh, but one other thing with Wrapped FM that I was, I was proud of was, so one of this guy, Anthony Saleh, he's Nas's oh, yeah. manager. And he, Futures manager. Futures manager, YG's manager, Alina Barraza's manager. Flex. Mogul. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a venture capital fund called Queensbridge, which I volunteered at. And that one, unpaid. Uh, expense, but he, you know, paid me in learnings. So he, I, I was like, you got to invest in Rapt FM. And he was like, I'm not going to invest in Rapt FM, <laughs> Damn. but uh, I'll be an advisor. <laughs> and what I ended up doing was I actually sent him a bunch of other startups to invest in. Mm-hmm. So he didn't invest in my startup. But I was like, but you might want to invest in these other ones. They're blowing up. They're in, in this batch. 500 demo day, YC demo day. And I think there's that attitude that uh, like I could have been like, now, if he's not going to invest in my startup, I'm not going to help him out. Mm-hmm. But he's been one of my biggest mentors in my career and really showed me what VC is, how to get into it. Yeah. I had a sense that, oh, I could be helpful. And I did yeah. the same thing with when I was at Product Hunt. I started sending all these deals to VCs. Yeah. And that's how I got, not to jump forward too fast, but that's how I got involved in investing too. Because I was like, man, I'm sending all these deals. All these deals are getting done. And they were like, hey, you should consider being a scout. And what a scout is when 
basically Sequoia invented this concept, I think like 10 years ago. Sequoia is a venture capital yes. fund. Mm-hmm. A scout is basically VCs giving founders and other connected people money to invest on their behalf. Mm-hmm. And I, I was I was investing like the smallest amounts I could because I was I wanted to be part of the action. And yeah. then they they allowed me to write slightly bigger checks. And that's that's sort of how I got into yeah. I did that's 40 dope. investments in my three years at Product yeah. Hunt. So take us back. So you're at Product Hunt and yes. a lot of people they hear about companies once they get bigger. But there's a lot of companies that don't even make the headline of TechCrunch or yep. any other magazine. So what were those early days like as an early employee? Like, yeah. can you just describe it to the listeners? Yeah, well, a lot of it was, I mean, so right now there are hundreds of companies every day that apply mm-hmm. for, to be on Product Hunt. And back in the day, there was like five. Mm-hmm. It was really, we were just working hard. But you, you know, I, you talk, when you talk about work for somebody, I really admired Ryan and I admire him to this day. And we're, we're great friends. Like he worked so hard. He had such a great sense of community and product. And I was like, hey, I don't know if this is going to be three months or three years, but I can learn so much. Mm-hmm. And I always kept asking myself, am I learning? Am I learning? And it was quite a ride because it turned from a side project to Y Combinator to Andreessen Series A all within like six months. Things wow. can happen really fast. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, Rapt FM was moving so slow for three years. Yeah. And then just to go on. Yeah quote unquote, like a mini rocket ship, like just in, by a rocket ship, I just mean like a lot of growth in a short period yeah. of time. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really good point you bring up because a lot of people want to be founders and they, they want to be the ones starting the company and being the CEO. Yeah. But people overlook that you could actually join another rocket ship, another mission driven yeah. company and be employee number one of yeah. something huge versus being CEO of something totally. that doesn't make any money. Yeah. I think of it both ways in that if you're young, I think it's, and you have an idea a lot of people are scared about the risk of starting companies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, on a risk-adjusted basis, you build an incredible network, you, you gain all these skills. And I think it's an awesome idea. You know, I have no regrets for Raptor. I'm three years. It's a long time to work on a Skype for Rap Battles idea. <laughs> um, but I, I've made so many people, made so many lessons. And, and so that's one thing. On the other side, yeah. don't have so much ego about it. Because yeah. you know, there are opportunities to join a company. You can be employee number one. You can be employee number 100. You'd be 1,000. Like there's so many opportunities mm-hmm. on the early stage to work with incredible teams. And it's all about, you know, opportunity. Can you grow in that opportunity? Can you learn in that opportunity? And is that company, you know, going to be something? Yeah. And speaking of incredible networks, several people that listen to the podcast, they go to a lot of meetups and they, you know, try to, you know, connect with different people and build relationships. Yeah. But you did something unique. In addition to going to meetups, you organized your own events. Yeah. You know, how did you get into organizing your events? own events and how did that help you build your own network? Yeah. I used to joke like host more events than you go, go to because I, um, you know, I did it first out of necessity a little bit because I'm a control freak. Just kidding. Because I'm actually somewhat of an introvert. Like I'd love, love to bring people together, but I spend a lot of time alone. I don't do a lot of like one-on-one coffee meetings. And so bringing people together was, uh, that, that was just, I wanted, you know, that's how I operate. Got outside it, your comfort zone. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, um, well, two things. One is I think in general, I think people spend too much time going to stuff. I think hosting, if one hosting stuff is a sort of way to invite a lot of people to have, to bring value to people, bring people together. And it's pretty easy. It's, it's not difficult. You, you just get a place, get a setup. And I think it has disproportionate returns to people who, to, to the hosts. The second thing is I think people should be, uh, if they're trying to build a strong network, Naval had this way too, which is like, 
have something valuable to add and the network will always be there. I think it's sort of two things. One is I think you want to you want to make sure that two things. One, you have a like deep skill or deep expertise or you're working on something so that when you're with other people, you can be helpful to them. And the second thing is I think once you have that skill, that expertise, that maybe you've built your own network through hosting events. And that, that's what I did with this thing called OnDeck, which is OnDeck is a community for people who are looking to do their next thing. So a lot of people are looking to start a company, a lot of people looking to join a company, people looking to leave their company, and they want to notice other opportunities. And you guys are in the same space of helping people find opportunities. And so I became the go-to person for people looking for co-founders, people looking for investment, people looking for, you know, get it on product hunt. Mm-hmm. If you have an asset, and the asset could be a skill set, asset could be a domain knowledge, like you're the, you know, expert in, you know, crypto, or you're the expert in machine learning, or you, or you have this asset that can help you explore startups need distribution, recruiting, and investment. If you can help them get that. So I, I think way to, I'm going around about it a little bit, but building a network, I think, is, is building assets first and foremost, and then thinking about how to deploy those assets to other people. You know, you, you talked about being the go-to person. And something we talk a lot about is personal brand. A lot of people yep. talk to us and trying to get guidance on that. You clearly have a personal brand. How did you go about building that personal brand why is building a personal brand important and how did that lead into you creating the Product Hunt podcast? Yeah. Why did you start that? I know it's a lot of thousands no, no, of questions. Totally. So pro- podcast, a lot of things happen out of uh, passions, you know, what I like to do. And I, I've always been watching interview shows as a kid. And so I love interviewing people and I love getting to know people. And a lot of people I didn't have access to, Product Hunt gave me that opportunity to say, hey, feature you on Product Hunt, come on the podcast. And so, and so that was a way to meet people and it was a way to do a, do a passion. What were the other questions you asked? Why is it important to create a personal brand? Yeah, personal brand. It's interesting. I, um, you know, I haven't thought about it that explicitly. There was a quote, uh, Kanye, uh, Kanye, how do you pronounce his name? Makubela? Yeah, Kanye Makubela. Yeah, yeah, from Collaborative. Fund. Yes, uh, all about to start his own thing. Awesome guy. He said, uh, and he was quoting somebody else, be known for something or be known for nothing. There it is. And I think the deeper point beyond that Instead of thinking about how to brand myself, how, what Twitter bio I should use, what Instagram is like, who are you? Like, what skills do you have? Like, have so- be known for something, which me- means have something to offer and have something very specific to offer. And so for me, I knew that product hunt was an asset that I can get people distribution. And I wanted, in terms of being a go to person, I wanted to build because I'm not, I don't know how to build stuff. Like, hmm. I'm not the best engineer. I'm not even an engineer. I'm not the best product person. Like, I don't have any super skills and I never did. And that's why, <laughs> that's why I had to be smart about how to be valuable. Uh-huh. And I, I really, when you don't have anything to offer, you really know that. <laughs> like I did yeah. know that. I think you're also being humble. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you've even like being in the Bay for three years now, like your name comes up over and over and over again because you're hosting dinners, you're organizing podcasts, you're on product con, like you're just everywhere. So even though you mentioned you don't have any like tangible like or like technical skills, yeah. you offer so much value to people that it's just like it's hard to miss what you're up to. I appreciate. It. Well, one thing I really try to build over the years is this sense of abundance. Mm-hmm. Is a sense of not keeping score. Is yeah. a sense of one having tactical things that offer value. People, your distribution, recruiting, yeah. help people raise money, and two have you can't just have it. You also got to have a spirit of mm-hmm. you know how can we all help each other, and I don't have to get anything from it. Seeing yeah, you sure. succeed is its own reward. Yeah, I mean, let's touch on that a little bit because yeah. like I think. What's unique about your events, you're not just hosting these events that are these huge network. Well, you do product hunt events that <laughs> yeah. have huge waiting lists. So they are, yeah. you definitely do the big yeah. events. 
We're going to talk about that. Yeah. But I also think the you do something unique with these meetups that are small and intimate mm-hmm. and you have food yep. and emotions are a part of it and you have people getting to know each other on a personal level versus a professional level. Yep. So tell us why you do that yep. and how that's also helped you build totally. your network. Well, when I got to say that my favorite event ever was the event we did together a couple rise. months ago, the Rise Retreat, Breaking into Startups Retreat. Yep. And Video coming soon. Yeah. Stay tuned. You know, three days in Tahoe. And I think that's sort of a metaphor for what I like to do, which is, you know, we all work so hard. You know, sometimes people don't have, especially in San Francisco, it's tough to build communities, mm-hmm. to uh, have people connect with on a, on a personal level. And so I think when we can create a space for that, for people to not just talk about their job title, but to talk about something that's important to them or their history or where they're from or what their parents are like or whatever, that it's refreshing. It's a different take. And so love to be, bring people together in small groups. People I think would be, be great together. Yeah. So my question to you, it's a little bit of a tangent, but everyone thinks that when they're starting a company, they should come to Silicon Valley. But what you have done, if let's say you couldn't have come to Silicon yeah. Valley, do you think you can recreate the same type of network, the same impact? in other cities or in other countries around the world? Yes, and I think, so he, I'll do with a no first. I think when you're young, we're all young. I think, you know, the biggest decisions you make are who am I going to spend time with, both personally and professionally, and where am I going to live? And I am really happy that I'm here. And I would advise myself to come here because I want to do something big in technology. So I think there are disproportionate sort of returns in terms of like the talent that's here, it's absolutely incredible. And then the focus and the depth, the same way that if I wanted to be in entertainment, I would go to Hollywood or finance, New York. I mean, there are lots of places that are hubs all over the world. At the same time, that's changing because the rise of the rest, I mean, you know, Detroit's got a burgeoning ecosystem and with, you know, better technology for remote teams with, you know, VR, with crypto, like it's going to be easier to do it elsewhere. So I would still tell myself to come mm-hmm. here, but it's easier and better to do it elsewhere. And what I would do elsewhere if I'm trying to create a community is, is create a focused community. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in Detroit, I'm going to create the like mobility community. Like where can we have a comparative advantage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I would think about. Yeah, sure, That's for sure. Good. Yeah, so in addition to investing in these companies, you also help a lot of them on the recruiting side. And as founders, they face a lot of challenges hiring, putting together a rockstar team. So can you share a little bit about kind of what are some of those challenges that companies face and how do you identify that rock star? What are the qualities that you look for? Yeah, a few things. One is really look for people that have a bias for action. Mm -hmm. So if you're an engineer, if you're a designer, if you're a product person, what have you built? Mm -hmm. Like, where's your portfolio at? Like, what are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. and I love seeing people who working on side projects, who are building stuff, Mm -hmm. who really got something to show because it shows that they have a bias for action. If you're non-technical, and I don't really like that, that word because it sort of implies like some sort of handicap or something. I'm not technical. <laughs> I agree, me but, too. Yeah, we got to find a better word. But if you're not building or engineering, if you're adding value in other ways, you got to show you, that too. Yeah. yeah, adding value in other ways. You, I like that. Yeah, you, are you hosting hackathons? Are you, you know, bringing people together? Are you, what are you doing? Like, yeah. and startups, when you guys say, what kind of challenges, man? They're trying not to die. <laughs> they're trying to <laughs> sell stuff. They're trying to get partners. They're trying to raise money. They're trying to, there's so many. I think if you're an early stage startup, you really want people who are going to solve your problems, who are going to step in right away. And like true hustle is, is really rare to find. And so I think as much as possible, you want to show that in advance, you're already doing that. Like what's the legendary story of, I think, 
Ryan Graves didn't even have a job and he was signing up customers in Chicago for, for Uber. Uh-huh. You can't say, and I think Ryan was being ignored in the beginning. He's like, hey, I got some customers for you. You can't be, you can't be ignore. Yeah. A little more customer. context on Ryan and who he is. Yeah. Yes. Ryan Graves was the formerly CEO of Uber and now, now board member of Uber and had what people call the billion dollar tweet, which mm-hmm. is uh, Travis Klanick, the former CEO of, uh, of Uber, had a tweet that said, looking for biz dev killer. He just tweeted out. And Ryan said like something like, I'm your guy, wink face. And I'm sure, I'm sure that got no response. Uh-huh. But then he just did the work in advance. He signed up some customers. Yeah. And he, he became the CEO of Uber. Yeah. And he's now a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. The and to unpack that a little bit. So if you're someone who is looking to join a company or like find a great mission company to work for, first, do you research, understand the challenges these companies are facing? Yeah. And as a startup, one of your most biggest challenges is acquiring customers. <laughs> right? Customers yeah. and product. So if you could help them on either of those, how to build a better product, which implies understanding the pain points of the customers, right? So go out there, find 10 customers who are either current customers or potential customers. Just do user interviews and ask them yeah. about what they like about the product, what they don't like about the product. Get that information, create a presentation and submit it to the founder, the biz dev person, and just share it with the company. And then They'll see tons of value out of it. I mean, it, that's what right? Patrick did to yeah. break into breaking into startups. Yep. Like he just made a presentation about our podcast yeah. and broke in. But speaking on what you just talked about, can Eric, can you break down due diligence that a venture capitalist does and like talk about it from a VC perspective, but then also from a user perspective of why it's important to research the companies that you are right. interviewing with? Because a lot of people we see in the job search, they just pick companies based off of who's hiring in a role yep. and they know nothing about the company. Right. Well, at first, let me just add to that's how like the first 10 hires at Product Hunt were sourced. It was users from the community who added value before. So Andreas Klinger, who you oh, actually yeah. have on the yeah, show, so the CTO, he built a Chrome extension. Uh, uh-huh. He was just doing it for fun. And Ryan was like, okay, I want to use this. <laughs> I got to hire you. What are you going to hire me as? He didn't have a role in the beginning. And then he became CTO. Created like my role at Product Hunt was hustling. <laughs> that was my role at Product Hunt for the first six months. And then it became founding team. Okay. So, you know, low ego, just do the work up front. So yeah, if you wanted to go work at, at Product Hunt in the beginning, like help people, you know, show that you can build something that they need or help find some customers for them. I, I love the way, way you put that. In terms of research, I mean, if you don't do your research, it shows that you're not serious. And mm-hmm. people right away are, are looking for, you know, you have hundreds of people, thousands of people, sometimes more applying. You got to you separate the wheat from the, from the shaft, whatever <laughs> the phrase is. And, Same uh, difference. Yeah. And so you got to... you. You got to know who's there. You got to really put your work in. So I would, and it shows that you're about, you're about the culture, that mm-hmm. you're really, you care about this. This is what you want to do. So, you know, read Product Hunt, read TechCrunch, you know, spend time on break, listen to break into startups, like really do your homework. So, you know, you could show to the founder that, hey, this isn't just a fleeting, fleeting mm-hmm. idea. Cause the founder needs to, you know, remember we were just talking about a phrase. And, you know, it's not just volunteering, it's, it's also adding value because Warren Buffett had this phrase, which is, I volunteered to work somewhere and I was overpaid for free. So you got to show, because the founder's taking yeah. a bet that with this time, it takes a lot of work to, yeah. to hire somebody, to bring yeah. them on. And there's also a lot of risks from the founder's perspective too, because if you bring on board five or 10 people who are your first employees who are not a good culture fit, or they're not hustlers, or they need a lot of handholding, and then the whole future of your company could be at jeopardy, right? Yeah. So the filter, especially for smaller companies, the filter is very high. So if you apply on the website with your resume and like 
your resume doesn't stand out, don't be like surprised that you didn't hear back, right? right? Like you have to actually, especially with smaller companies, you have to go out of your way, research them, connect with multiple people on the team, continue like bugging them until they notice you. And then once they notice you, it's your shot to add value, right? Yeah. And once you add value, they'll appreciate it. And then you can join companies like Product Hunt and yeah. which open all sorts of doors. Yeah. yeah. So Eric, so th- this is a tough question, but so we talk about scale and hustle, but I think for a lot of people who are listening, they're career transitioners, which kind of implies that uh, there's people who are going from finance to engineering, and now they're trying to like pitch their engineering skill to a startup that's running short on resources. So have you seen either for the companies you worked at or uh, your portfolio companies, like a way uh, someone who is more junior can demonstrate the hustle and the skill, even though they're pretty like pretty green in that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the... Um I think it's, it still goes back to show something, build something. Like just start showing that, hey, all, all you want to do is build. All I want to do is build. All I want to do is ship, do projects, volunteer, work with people. You know, I remember this guy, what's the name? Stefan? This guy, this 15 year old kid who did something for Saka. You remember? He, for lowercase, I can't remember his name, oh. but he was 15 years old. I lived, I think, internationally and he created a jobs board for the lowercase portfolio company. Dope. If you're looking at the podcast, go do that for some VC firm that you yeah. that you want to yeah. work at or some company. And lowercase used it and then hired them as interns. Oh. And then uh, this 15 year old kid and a 14 year old kid, and then they became YC founders. Uh, <laughs> wow. And yeah, you don't have to be the most seasoned, like you know, engineer ever, but go build a job board for some venture firms portfolio company. Yeah. Like go do a project that shows yeah, some value. Yeah, even easier. There's so many companies that have terrible 404 pages, and for those that don't know, like when you go to a URL. And that there's no page attached to it, you usually get a 404 page, which is very plain that says, sorry, can it be like served? So go ahead and create one. All you need to know is HTML and CSS. You can learn it in a weekend and just put something together that looks good, that represents the company, their mission, and submit it. Because these companies are super busy. They're not thinking about the little details, but they'll for sure use it. And you could point to that and say, hey, like, even if this company doesn't hire you, you could talk to other companies and say, hey, I created the four or four pages for these five awesome companies. And everyone is going to be like, wow, I love the passion. I love the hustle. Yeah. So even something small like that. And if you don't know HTML and CSS and you've read the articles about the company, you see areas where they have gaps. If you have the value that you can add for the gaps, do the work. Maybe it's customers. Maybe it's like a partnership. And then like say that you did the work already. Yeah. There's, there's this amazing quote about sort of the right, the right amount of entitlement. And the quote is like, you know, feel entitled to deserve a spot in the race, but don't feel entitled to think that you deserve to win without, oh, without doing the work. Yeah. I'm coming with these proverbs, man. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk a little bit about your current fund. Like, so you transitioned from being a founder to being an employee to then venturing off and starting your own fund. Tell us a bit more about that decision. Yeah. And how did you go and like, how did you go ahead and like build this amazing organization that now enables other entrepreneurs to build their companies? Yeah. One more note about breaking in because yeah. it's so powerful. A lot of it's a lot of it's about mindset. A lot of it's about not being discouraged. I mean, a lot of instead of like we're talking about entitlement, like it's not what can like why aren't they taking me? Why aren't they seeing it? It's yeah. like this whole podcast about people who've you know broken into startups, yeah. tried hundreds of times, didn't get that offer, but then found a way in. Yeah. Can, can we say sure. one more thing about please. breaking into yeah, it? Because like before starting a fund, like most people don't just skip to start a fund. That's very difficult. Like breaking into VC yeah. is a whole nother ball game. And a lot of times you have to work at startups first before yep. mm-hmm. breaking into VC. So before talking about how sure. you raise the fund, you just talk about 
why it's important to work at a startup before yep. you break into VC and why it's so difficult to break into VC? Yeah. So there's just not that many venture capital jobs. VC is smaller. I mean, there's it, a lot more start, you know, tech jobs than there are VC jobs. And, and so it's hard. And traditionally, it's been sort of a who you know, who you know game. It's changing a little bit, but it's slow. I think that people, you know, VCs are looking for people, to hire people that can help them get the best deal flow or diligence, the best deal flow. And if, if you're young, you know, you haven't been analyzing companies for, for 20 years, so you're probably going to help on the sourcing side. And the best way to, you know, build on the sourcing side is to, is to build a network and t- typically network of other founders, operators. And typically that's because you worked at one, you know, you worked at Stripe or Facebook and now all your friends are, you know, leaving and starting companies. So if you're, but at the same time, a lot of people will say, Hey, my, my life goal is to be a venture capitalist. So I'm going to work as a founder for 20 years and then be a VC. I think, I think it's a balance. Sometimes you might get that first initial job at Product Hunt or you know, career karma breaking into startups and then make a, make a move in, into VC. And it, you don't have to spend 20 years. But in general, in VC, there's debate. Of, do you have to be an operator? Do you have to work startups to be a great VC? Or you know, some people who are just VCs who work their way up their, their whole career. So I think both can work. And generally, people like operators because they, they know how to coach entrepreneurs. They have a great network of entrepreneurs. I mean, they can give that great yeah. feedback. Just one more point about sure. breaking in. You only need to get one company to say yes. Yeah. And how many, you've been here for a few years. How many startups would you say are within like the seven by seven, like seven uh, block radius of this area where mile, we are now? Yeah, seven mile radius. Seven yeah. mile. Man, so many. I can't even get like, like ballpark at like 10,000, 100,000. Like, I have to think about what seven by seven means. Yeah, this area. Like 100,000? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, you're not going to run out. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. so, so many. <laughs> yeah. And so many amazing, doing amazing things. Yeah. So, sectors. Yeah. So my point is uh, like, you only need to get one company to say yes. So just don't stop until you get that yes. In terms of, uh, in the beginning of the episode, we talked about how VCs invest in startups with their money and you're investing with your time. How does someone, there's thousands of companies out there. How do you even start to pick a company that's a good match for you? Like, what should you look for? And how do you see beyond just what's uh, like in the headlines? So first, there are, there are some curated lists. There's like the breakout list. You guys probably have a list. You should have your own list. It's um, coming now, so yeah. CK100. Yes. Stay tuned. Yes. There are, you know, look at some of the best VC rooms you're inspired by. Look at injuries and portfolio companies. Look at YC companies. Look at. Village Global, and you know, see what you're inspired by. And a lot of people, if you're open-minded, that's amazing. You've got more opportunities. You were something in drones or in crypto or in virtual reality, and then look for. I mean, it depends what you're what you're trying to do long term, but a lot of it's a a numbers game. Like really mm-hmm. making that list and then having the conversations and seeing where the opportunity is and being both. This tension between being both picky as to the right opportunity, but also being mm-hmm. open-minded and keeping your ego in check. So Eric, this is your first fund. And what's unique about this fund is that your limited partners, which we'll play, explain in a second, are some of the world's greatest people in technology. You have Jeff Bezos, who's founder of Amazon, Reid Hoffman, who's founder of LinkedIn, Marissa Meyer, Mark Zuckerberg. How did you curate that group of people to believe in you? Well, at the highest level, you know, one thing I'm passionate about is building communities, building networks, and something, something I've done. And so, you know, I teamed up with this guy named Ben Kasnoka, who's an entrepreneur, an author, investor, 
and I'd been following his work for a decade. Shout out to Ben. Yeah, we're like the same age, but he's a uh, he's he's a prodigy. Um, or he's a couple years older, but he uh, I followed his work for his decade. He became you know advisor and friend to me back in the Raptive M days, and we'd always talked about doing stuff together. Mm-hmm. And he really understands networks. I really get communities. We, you know, there's overlap, of course, but we wanted to team up. And he was the chief of staff for Reed Hoffman. Oh. And then we later brought on, or we, we brought on as co-founders, Ross Fabini and Antoine were amazing as well. Mm-hmm. And we said, we want to try to do something different in venture. We want to try to build you know, the best networked firm in the world. And so, but that means we wanted to do venture as a network. So have networks built into the DNA of how our firm operates. So we said, we're going to try to do a few things different. One of those things was our LP base. Now, first, let me describe LPs invest in venture capital funds. They're limited, yes. limited partners. Yes. VCs invest in startups. LPs invest in venture capital funds. LPs typically big institutions, endowments, university endowments, pension funds, hospitals, nonprofits, fund funds, family offices. And the one thing that's pretty cool about it actually is when, you know, Red Cross might be a big LP or Stanford might be a big LP so that when Sequoia makes a lot of money, so 80%, typically firms operate in a way where 80% of the proceeds goes to the limited partners. So when VCs make money, a lot of the time people making the most money are organizations that really benefit the world. And so this is how you know, VCs feel good. <laughs> and one of the ways they feel good about what, what they do. And we said, hey, most LPs are pretty passive. Like, you know, you're not talking to you know, the Red Cross about startups or I don't, like most or hospitals about most LPs don't, aren't day-to-day adding a ton of values. So we said, how do we innovate on that? What if we can try to get the best CEOs we could find and create sort of a club where they would not just, you know, support with their money or even support with their brand, but also support with their time. They'd get to meet each other more and have beneficial relationships with each other, but then also find the next, you know, the next great crop of entrepreneurs that might, you know, might sell to Amazon, it might sell to Facebook, it might sell to link, LinkedIn. And so the biggest ways we innovated were on the LP base, and we worked very hard to make that happen. And then on the on sort of a decentralized model to invest in, because I, I was a scout and I was very familiar with that process. And so we said, instead of, because most GPs, it's you know five people in Sand Hill Road, Masters GP of the Universe. is a general partner. Yes. Yeah. Most investors, VCs, it's all this, it's just their individual networks. But we said, what if we invested through a decentralized group of investors. So instead of five people making all the decisions, it's you know, we have 50 people or 100 people each making a couple of decisions in areas in which they're expert at. And so that's the basic thesis of Village Global, which is how do we do venture as a network? Yeah. And I love that there's some, every single layer on the LP side, on the yeah. general partner side, on the scout side, on the like even the companies you invest in, there's networks embedded yeah. at the very core, which almost like kind of multiplies and compounds on itself every time totally. you go deeper and deeper in those Sounds layers. like it, it takes a village, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, 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 the name. <laughs> that's where the name came exactly. from. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then awesome. like, in addition to having this structure that Archie just wrote down and that you just explained about, there's like advisors, yeah. there's these mentors. Can you kind of like touch on yeah, sure. that? Yeah, we've really, I mean, this is getting the weeds of scout programs, but we've really unbundled sourcing from decision-making and supporting. Some people have amazing deal flow, but don't necessarily have the expertise or the confidence to really decide. Other people don't have the deal flow, but are experts in hardware or in virtual reality and are go-to people to help us make decisions there. And other people you know, are 
not sourcers or designers, but love working with startups and have real expertise around go-to-market, sales, or specific industry. And so we've created different experts across those three things. Some of them do multiple or all, all of the above. And we incentivize them with carry or equity in, in the underlying companies to work on our behalf. But ultimately, I think a lot about mentorship and I think a lot about menteeship, especially for people breaking into startups. I think let's start with the, with the mentee side. I think you know, people in Silicon Valley, what I, what I realized, you know, when I was in Detroit, there was this idea of, hey, big fish, small pond. And in San Francisco, they used to say, I'd be a small fish in a big pond. But it didn't necessarily happen that way because I found in San Francisco, people were so much more willing to spend their time, people who had been so much more successful. And Detroit's awesome. But I think there's just something that people understand here and in other places too, which is it's not just, you know, the spirit of good juju, good karma <laughs> to give back. It's also rational because you never know who that person is going to become. And, you know, people break in and then they're the next Mark Zuckerberg or whoever. Yeah. And so if you're, you know, mentoring someone, you want someone when they're on the ground floor because then they'll look back and be like, that person helped me when I was getting off the ground. Now I'm going to help them. Yeah. I love your emphasis on karma that it's not just doing it out of the good of your heart, which I think a lot of people do it anyways. Yeah, that's great. But there's also the karma piece where, you know, if you invest in someone, if you help, help them achieve their dreams, it's going to come back to you in some way or another. Yeah. Like it could be just, hey, like uh, just it could be bragging rights or yeah. something like that. But it also could be your next co-founder, your next boss, yeah. your next LP. Like you never know. And what's, what's beautiful about it too is that like a lot of times when people are giving that time, they have no expectation of return. And so yeah. if, if there's nothing that comes back, that's totally okay. But most of the time, if you really like are doing it from the, goodness of your heart totally. it comes back with wrapped fm we probably had i don't know maybe 25 30 people work for us over three years and a lot of them were unpaid interns don't tell anybody we were trying to <laughs> figure stuff out bootstrap yeah but we uh like any they can call me at any time and i'll do anything for them and even one of them suna amaz we were just talking about is now the ceo of token daily which is a project i incubated and i went there i was like you're an employee at this company but no i think you're ready to be a founder so a lot of it compounds too over time. But if, if I'm a mentee, I'm really thinking, or I'm looking to build great mentorship. I'm looking at how can I add value to these people? It's the same thing. Like how can, what, what's the job board example? Or what can I, what are they looking to do? And how can I help them achieve their, their VC? How can I send them deals? You know, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm at a university. I'm like, oh, I know all the startups pop in here. Let me send that to Andreessen. Let me send that to Sequoia. And, you know, ask them, hey, you know, can we get lunch? Or how can I help you? How can I add value instead of, how can you offer value from, to me? Like, I want to pick your brain over coffee or something. You know, lead with value first. That's something I think a lot about. Yeah. You know, founders and VCs are always focused on like disrupting things or like thinking yeah. about how they can solve different problems. And going back to the Raj thing yeah, sure. and how it ties to what you're doing, we did something a little different when yeah. we had a larger group versus yeah. a smaller intimate group. We did something called an unconference that yes. was actually your idea. It was originally going to be this like awards ceremony. Yeah. But why did we do this unconference and what are like the biggest takeaways that you got from it? Yeah. So the initial idea for the, the Rise Awards was sort of imagine a Forbes that are under 30, but for employees, you know, product managers, designers, people of all, all positions, because I think founders sort of get undue, well, certainly due recognition. Employees don't get their due recognition. That's what I'm trying to say. Yep. Founders are great. Uh, <laughs> founders are coming in this next Rise Retreat. So let's do something special. And then with help of you guys, we realized, hey, you know, it's not necessarily about the award or recognition. A lot of it's about the network and the community. And so we brought 
you know, 50 of the, uh, you know, leading minds in technology, you know, product managers, designers, engineers, you know, junior investors at different companies and firms. And we said, hey, th- these people all have really unique expertise. Let's do sort of group moderated conversations where you would lead one on how to break into tech, or I would lead one on how to break into venture capital, or I would lead one on, you know, nonviolent communication, which I'm something really excited about, or people would lead stuff on personal topics or, you know, intellectual topics. And it's based off of other conferences I've seen where people do the same thing because, yeah, we all have expertise and, and learning is, is really powerful. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about the retreat is like everyone felt like they were equals, even though everyone in the room had their own like achievements. Like I'm forgetting his name, but there's a guy who started the Egyptian revolution. Wael Ghanim. Yeah. He was there and it's amazing to see how everyone just comes together. Everyone cleans, cooks, yeah. and you just feel like you're part of a family. Um, and it wasn't just professional things. We had, we had things about lucid dreaming. Yeah. We had a secret yeah. Santa thing. We had freestyle like reflections. Rap. We had freestyle rap battles, which yeah. we'll show yeah. you guys a little bit about later. Yeah. But yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So stay tuned for the next one. So at this point on the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where we ask you questions, but we're looking for specific strategies, any resources or tactics that you've used mm-hmm. to get to where you are today so that our listeners can go out and replicate your success. Yeah. With that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this takes it back to the basics. So if you just moved to a new city, you only had $100 and you were trying to break into tech or build a network, what would you do and how would you go about doing that? Yeah. If that, if that city is not San Francisco, I'd spend that 100 bucks on a bus or flight to uh, San Francisco. <laughs> it's, again, it depends what you want to do yeah. and lots of other major cities. But I think where you live is actually very important. Yeah. And also in San Francisco, I mean, when I first got here, I moved to the startup house, mm-hmm. a hostel, 734. Howard, I don't know if they want to be called as a hostel, but there are 30 other entrepreneurs, bunk beds. And you guys also lived in communal houses, right? Yeah, I did. Agape. Shout out yeah. to Agape, Justin Rosenstein, everybody over there. Yeah. So f- find people to live with, find people to be in their community right away, even if you're in, in San Francisco, because it's much easier to change your environment than it is to change your insides, yourself. And so the, that's the quickest thing I would spend my $100 on. And then I would really focus, you know, different people learn in different ways. I really learn by reading. So like books are powerful for me, like talking to people, just, I would spend it on like on just the ability to learn. And that's where I'm living and you know, what resources I have. Let's talk more about those books, man, because you yeah. have an active Twitter account. If, if people aren't following your Twitter account, they should. What are some of like, what's the top three books that you've read yeah. since you've been in tech that like have completely changed your yeah. life and your perspective? You know, one of the basic it is very basic, but very powerful. And I used to be embarrassed to say this book because it's, it's so basic and people often like very snarky about it. But I've been reading it since I was a kid. And, I, you know, Nassim Taleb has this quote, which is like the best books are the ones you reread. Yep. And uh, I, this book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yep, classic. And it is a classic. A lot of people will shame on it, but I think it's so relevant to, you know, someone who's 16 years old or someone who's 60 years old. I mean, it's, it's just all about, principles about yeah, give us the breakdown what are yeah. the seven things if you remember totally yeah of, of course them. i remember uh, <laughs> and i used Love to it. yeah uh one be proactive like take ownership over your, your own life a- agency and you know, talk about the story of victor frankel who was a holocaust survivor amazing uh, and he was saying hey you know these a prisoner and, and these guards can take away my liberty they can take away what i physically do but they can't take away how i perceive the world and i could see you know, myself as agency i could revisit my past and reframe and that was so powerful to me. The second is 
begin with the end in mind. So like you think about what you want people to say at your funeral or like what you want to be known for and work backwards. The third thing is put first things first, like don't do unimportant stuff. (laughs) The fourth is think win-win. That's the abundance mentality. The fifth, this is most powerful, man. I got to remind myself to do seek first to understand, then to be understood. Listen first because people just want to be listened to and people aren't going to listen to you until they're listened to first. The sixth is, I think it's synergy, which sort of gets made fun of a lot. But I think it's uh, like one plus one is three. Like also think of abundance. Like, oh, you don't want to work for me, but still, how can I help you? Like, I don't know. It's all kind of like rise and breaking the startup totally. together and doing the rice trip. Yeah. 10x. Yeah. And then seven, 10x experience. seven, 100%. Seven is uh, sharpen the saw, which means sort of renew. And me and Ruben are fascinated by this concept of the Sabbath. Um, exactly. Yeah. Break that down. Totally. So, I mean, I'm no religious scholar, <laughs> but the, uh, the Sabbath, the day of rest, like when you, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not religious. I just, I just do it practically. Like I think when I take a day and I don't do it every week, sometimes I do it once every two weeks. Sometimes I do it once a month if I'm really busy, but I try to take a day and I do no internet, no phone. I try to even be in solitude. And I find that a lot of, a lot of my great ideas come from there. I find that a lot of the knots in my brain, like things I feel tension about, relationships, you know, stress at work, they just sort of work themselves out if I give it time. And so if there's one of the things I would tell my younger self is, just take a day because so many things will like work themselves out. I don't know what the Sabbath bring gives to you. I mean, but. like to your point, I mean, a lot of times people are working so hard, eventually they burn out and have to take a sabbatical. But if you build in the Sabbath or a break every single week to not be stuck in muck, you essentially have that time to rejuvenate and come up with new ideas. And Timo talks about this a lot. Like if you're stuck in muck, you only see muck. But if you manage to flow above it, you still see much, but you see it from a different perspective. That's how you come up with those breakthrough ideas. If you're working all the time and only talking to those users all the time, you're not going to come up with those breakthrough ideas. You might, but yeah. it's very difficult to do it. So um, I'll say that's important. And then also, you have to take care of your health. Yeah. A lot of times people sacrifice their health to build and solve these problems. And that's a beautiful concept. But a lot of times people that are the most like giving people in the world forget to take care of themselves and sometimes kill themselves before right. the people that they're trying to take care of. So it's a hundred year game. Like, you know, pace yourself. Like maybe even longer now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Find your rhythm. Totally. Yeah. So the next question, it's about success. Basically, there's a lot of people who are chasing um like wealth, a lot of people who are chasing uh, power, like fame. What is uh when it comes to success, what does it mean to you? It's a great question, man. I just want to be enough like be enough for myself. So I mean, I think there's a few things. One is, you know, I see a lot of people, there's this tension where you want to have goals, you want to go after things, you want to make, be the best version of yourself, you know, contribute to the world, impact, you know, I hear you say 8 billion people. The only tension I have is sometimes it's, uh, sometimes people don't feel enough until they do that. And so they look at everything in that context and don't sort of, they're not present. And so I think of a balance between like being present, you know, having real relationships, prioritizing, those relationships, having communities, taking care of myself, being happy while enjoying the ride, like the process, the journey is a reward, the process is its own reward. While at the same time, you wanted to make a contribution and contribution is both micro in my individual, you know, family, friends, the people I impact, but then also what can I contribute? And I, I think it's, I think there are a lot of ways to make a contribution. So I don't have an individual, like I will be successful when I hit this, I think. Because uh, I remember, I remember this Justin Kahn's Snapchat uh, where he was like, "Man, I know people who are billionaires who f- are jealous of ten billionaires. Like people, it's never enough. So I'm trying to be enough and also 
try to make great things. It's the journey, not yeah. the end result. Love totally. it. You had your own podcast and you have another podcast now. Yeah. What are some of the biggest insights that you've learned? Or what's yeah. the biggest insight that you learned from podcasting? The short answer is just to a few things. One is just to do it. A lot of people build it up in, in their minds. Just like you don't have to get the most famous people in the world. Just do it. Two, I would, I would focus on a niche. So I like, I like you, you guys breaking in and start like have a new voice, have a new context. And three, just pursue what you're, what you're interested in. Don't get discouraged. And it doesn't have to like a lot of people want to be like, oh, how do I get the most, you know, Barack Obama on my podcast? Like <laughs> you can find, you guys had, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, but you also had Ina Hurley, like so many gems that haven't been on podcasts before. Amazing, amazing stories. Yeah. And you draw it, right? And a lot of the time, those are the stories that no one hears and they're the most original, yes. right? Like a lot of these people too that were on there, like Neve Droy, you just mentioned, yeah. started yeah. his own fund. Yeah. Who was on a podcast is now raised $3 million. Hasib is now managing partner at another fund. So yeah. all these people. Yeah. Right. So you just have to like, and there's so many original stories that no one has ever heard before. Right. That a podcast is an amazing opportunity to take the agency, like the initiative and say, right. I'm going to go find these amazing stories that no one has heard. And just share it with the world. That's yeah. what we're doing now. Exactly. I would treat it as a creative project. Like, and it shows when you talk about, you know, engineers, products, people, designers, like have a portfolio, like for people who add value in other ways, like this is a way to really showcase that hustle. You can build a network that you have interesting things to say, interesting things to talk about. And my, my products on podcast was like, it was really just, it was asking people, how do I become you? How did you become you? Should I become you? Like that's the sort of conversations I was having and now breaking into startups because sorry, uh, Venture Stories by Village Global, because where I'm at in my career is, I know what I'm doing. I'm an investor at Village Global and I'm trying to be really good. So I'll interview other investors and be like, you know, instead of how did you become who you are, just what do you think about this sector? How do you think about analyzing investments in this way? So it's a lot more tactical. So do podcasts around what you're trying to learn, who you're trying to meet. Yeah, absolutely. And we're about to wrap up, but before we do, can you share some of your daily routines? Like, I know you mentioned that you take the Fridays off, Friday nights and Saturdays, but what else do you do on a daily basis that keeps your mind like original? Yeah. You can think, you can get things done. Yeah. Well, the last book I'll say real quick and then I answer regimes yeah. is I've been really inspired by nonviolent communication. And if the book is pretty long, so if you don't want to read a long book, read my summary or read someone else's summary. But uh, I think it's pretty game changing. On the daily routine stuff, you know, in general, I like to keep a lot of things simple. One thing I am really inspired by is gratitude journal. So I, mm-hmm. I try to, in the morning, write what I'm grateful for. Today would be a great day if X happened. You know, what are the three things that are X? And at night, I try to say like, here are the you know three great things that happened today. So I'm big into gratitude. I think it's a, it's a practice. It's something you cultivate. Quickest way to happiness. Yeah, yeah. sure. And yeah. on the topic of nonviolent communication, just tell people what they, what it is because it's really powerful. And a lot of people yeah. have different uh, preconceived notions because of the name. So yeah, just- it's also called compassionate communication. Uh-huh. But what it was trying to show by that provocative name is how insidiously and subtly, quote unquote, violent or infused our communication is. And nonviolent communication is, is a framework that helps people reduce friction in communication, both when they're speaking to others so they could speak most effectively and get, because we'll you know, say like, we'll say this really awesome thing and then we'll say one passive aggressive comment and the people only hear the passive aggressive comment. So how do we just remove the friction in our communication? Then also how do we take other people's communication and because they'll say all these passive aggressive, they'll throw all this stuff at us and how do we hear what they're really trying to say and then also it's about the talk that we have with, with ourselves. You know, most of communication is internal. Yeah. And so it is a framework that it goes into and, and sort of a, a philosophy. So Yeah. And I think it's key just because co-founder blow up is one of the biggest reasons it why is, companies I think fail. it's the biggest reason. I think 50% or yeah. something like crazy. And a lot of it's about 
Communication. Yeah. It's all communication. Communication is key for interviewing and the job search and all kinds of other things. And we have less than five minutes left. But before we close and talk about how to get in touch with you, people don't know about our Cyphers and Cyphers idea that they're going to know about later. Yep. But I think since you started Rap the Femme and you're so talented at rapping, I'm not that, that, talented, we should, man. that we should end <laughs> with a little, a little freestyle rap battle leveraging the Breaking Stars theme song. So I'm going to drop the beat. I know you're going to take the drink of water. We'll give a big shout out to Major 7 for allowing us to use the beat as a theme song. He's the producer of Devil is Alive for Rick Ross and Jay-Z, and he put three on Future's new album. All kinds of other people. Rihanna. So, yeah. Eric Torenberg next. Let's get it. <laughs> only you guys are... I'm only doing this for you guys, man. I appreciate it. No, we want to. Fun. But, uh... Ruben, you also jump in on this? I'm going to jump in. Okay. Um, so I, I want you three to give me, give me individual words. So incorporate. This is just yeah. totally off. Community. Community. Sunday. Sunday. What you got, Ruben? Um, the Bay. The Bay. Yeah. Listen. Listen. Uh, listen. Downtown Detroit, I was living near Eight Mile. Matter of fact, chilling with the Papia of Maypal. Oh wait, I'm at Mafia of PayPal. Oh wait, I'm in the Bay now. Oh wait, oh I got my escape route. Oh wait, did I say that? Oh wait, I know the name drop. Oh wait, how at game at? Oh wait, where the trains at? But listen, me matter of fact, I moved out for an opportunity. Chill got the network and the network community. Listen, how we do that though? Really, then the you can flow. I'm rhyming out my rhyming. I am really out my noodle, bro. Really, how's he do that ish? I don't. You knew that this, you Google this. The truth is this. Paul Pierce say I'm the truth. And, and hey. Matter of fact, what was your word? I just forgot it. Community. No, no, you're a Sunday. Sunday. Oh, wait, you're on Sunday. I kick it with that pump play. Can't change the role models. I'm going to change that runway. Matter of fact, that one day, chilling on a Sunday. Hey. Oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. I used to really drive that Hyundai. Uh. Now I just did Uber that. And meaning of life can't Google that. Uh. Matter of fact, you can't even see me with that Google Glass or Google Maps or Google Earth. You see me with the universe. Ruben drop. <laughs> Verse now. <laughs> hey, okay, here we go. Check, 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 check. Yeah. To hold on, hold on. Let me get it. Almost, hold on. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> to break into stardust, you get your smart stuff. They said I'm not a culture spirit because my skin's darker. What the heck reactor? Didn't go to Harvard. I used to think investment banking would make me smarter. Chris Dixon said, wrong hill, Everest uphill, red pill, blue pill, hard work, no frills. And next. Let's, Let's get break it. in. Let's <laughs> that, break in. Yo, my, my one was back. I'm going to do another one. All right. All right go Let's, go, ahead. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Let's keep, keep yeah. it going. Yeah. Uh, Yo, breaking into startups. Yo, to the right partner. You want to get career, you got to give into the karma. Uh-oh. Listen, matter of fact, and I went from Ann Arbor. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, you got the hard thing about hard things is it gets harder. Uh-huh. Now you put it hard into it like it's James Harden uh-huh. or LeBron James. Matter of Ron Conway with angels. What you really know, I rap with Bezos. Matter of fact, you can give me a kiss, maybe some Bezos. Lay low. t bird don't play, though. Like Slato. How we really do it, I just do it if I say so. This is an opportunity hip-hop community matter of fact me and breaking the startups is a unity hey. you and me what we really doing though how we do it though yeah hey, hey. just in case you thought we forgot about family we'll never forgot about, about family. family yo yo, yo though 
Yeah, we never got about family, and it's all about friends. It's more than the rhyme, it's what the rhyme represents. This is Breaking the Stars podcast, live and direct. This is one hour podcast for our lives to connect. Uh huh. I know. I know. Right, so have Rise and respect. Time. Rise yeah. and respect. So when is the mixtape coming out? No, no mixtape, guys. We're all freestyle, man. <laughs> coming soon. Coming, coming soon. soon. Coming soon. Right, so how can people get in touch with you? Tweet me. Uh, like a lot of people want to uh, shy to ask questions, but when we ask questions publicly, other people can learn from them. So just tweet a question. I'll answer it over mm-hmm. Twitter. Yeah. Do it. Hey. Like, yeah, one thing is to be public. So yeah. all people Thanks can learn from that. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Shout out to 8 Heroes again for recording the video. Um, and yeah, yeah we look forward tuned. to seeing what we yeah, can do. Yeah, this is all going to be published on our YouTube, on our website. Check so out the videos. Stay tuned. It's been an honor, man. I love what you guys are doing. You guys are yeah. doing for the community. You guys are shining examples of people who broke in non-traditional background and now are major power players in Silicon Valley. So thank you for sharing. Thank you, bro. Thanks, bro. Let's break in. Peace. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.